story of life. And thank you to both boys and the brothers of working with today with those two special so now, if you go to uh, our house and go in the storeroom, it should be kind of a weird place to go, but okay, if you did, go around in there. If you did that, you would discover that uh, about half of, of the storage inside the storeroom is made up of uh, storage for Christmas decorations. Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is true in your house, but, but maybe not, but in our house, it seems like Christmas decorations take up a, an ordinate amount. Absolutely. And uh, we're not going to use all these Christmas decorations by any means. But we store them anyway. And we bring some of them out. We, we bring some of them out. We have the Christmas lights out, or at least some of them. We've got a garland that is wrapped around the railing on the porch. We've got various wall hangings and you know, things that are set out um, to make the house look a little Christmassy. We've got the Christmas tree up, of course. We've got the thing that to go off the track you know, around the Christmas tree, and all those kinds of things. But of course, we do have the decorations. Now, the decorations, the ornaments, that is, for the tree, uh, you know, we, we can't possibly put all of the ornaments that we have on the tree. I mean, some of the ornaments even are broken. So, you know, we're sticking through the ornaments, and we're choosing which ones go on the tree and which ones don't, because the broken ones, and you know, put those back in the box to be stored for next year. And then there are the other elements that are, are so popular looking, they wouldn't look good on any tree, anywhere, at any time. So we put them back in a box to be sold the next year. And some elements that we take out and say, hey, <laughs> this one is going on this. Now, some of those elements that get to go on, on the tree are broken too. I mean, there's this steel element, the dry. He lost his shoes some time ago, a number of years ago. I have no idea what year that happened or anything like that, but but all of that's a special ornament. So even though he's broken, he goes on the tree. Now, you know, what, what this means is that, you know, you've got to be a little discerning as we go through our, our Christmas decorations, especially those ornaments, and, and determine which ones. Go on the tree, and which ones do not? Now, the ones that go on the tree normally are ones that have some meaning. Maybe they have some history to them. We recognize them you know, from past Christmases. They're things that we know, and therefore they go on the tree. Now, if we are just discerning when it comes to things like hanging elements on a tree at Christmas time, why wouldn't we expect God to be discerning? when it comes to matters of eternity. Now, people are far more important to God than, than merely ornaments, and eternity matters far, far more than just simply a seasonal Christmas tree. But still, when it comes to eternity, you know, we can expect God to be a little bit discerning that He chooses people with whom He has a history. People with whom he has memories. People with whom he has spent some time. People with a relationship with Jesus. So Jesus puts it this way in our gospel reading from Luke, where it says, Make every effort to enter. By, by the way, the people are asking him, Lord, will only a few be saved? 
which I find interesting because these days it seems to be the exact opposite. Yeah, these days the expectation is that everybody's going to be saved. Everybody goes to heaven. Uh, it kind of stood out for me to call out your Advent message, by the way, when you're quoting other statistics. And uh, one of the statistics was that 4% of people believe they're going to hell. Now, I wouldn't want to be one of the 4%, okay? But, but here's this question you know, that stands out. Is, uh, and what's you be saved? And Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter, but will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, he will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sure, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you. Or where you come from. Then he will say, We take and drink with you, and you try to ask sleep. But he will, he will reply, I don't know you. But where you come from? Away from me, all you evil beings. There will be weeping there, gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are out. So, what is the key to the kingdom? And we can say that it is faith, absolutely, faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. But these days, faith is kind of falling on hard times, where faith is just simply reduced to a matter of this. Intellectual ideas and opinions about them. No, this is faith uh, for which Jesus died. This is faith that shapes a relationship with Jesus. Because the key here that Jesus coming at is this relationship. And he says, Who are you? Of course, there are some who don't know. Some who don't know. And many are in now, these days, it is popular, extremely popular, for people to somehow get the idea that because they say that something is so in terms of spiritual matters, in terms of matters of faith, therefore, what they say dictates the entire universe and lines up the entire universe and makes it all so. As, as though they were the ones who could tell the truth. Which, of course, is ridiculous in every facet of life, and we know that. You know, if a person, for example, wanted to uh, decide that, well, you know, I, I believe that you know, the best way to get onto the freeway is by entering the freeway via the exit ramp, you know, they might actually make it down the exit ramp. That's a possibility. But once one there, reality is going to sink in fairly quickly and demonstrate to them that, in fact, they cannot simply run up the universe according to what it is that they say and dictate. And other ways as well. A lot of times people might say something along the lines of, well, Uncle Bob is in a better place now. Even though, if there was ever anyone that Jesus wouldn't know, it would be Uncle Bob who can stand at 10, 30 seconds in the presence of Jesus in this life. Now there will be many surprise looks on judgment day when they hear the words, Who did you say this to us? I just don't know you. I can never hear you. Actually, Jesus does use the past tense here. The past tense of tomorrow is referring to today. 
knowing Jesus right now is something that matters. So we try to do. So one day, several staff members and I, which is pre COVID, and we would go out you know, for periodic staff uh, meetings, uh, worship review meetings, so staff members who are involved in uh, worship services would get together and uh, review past uh, worship services and see where we might be able to improve and, and look at how we might be fulfilling the mission to connect people to the living God. Well, at this one particular uh, review meeting, a planning, worship planning meeting, somebody said, you know, what we need to do really is think more about a relationship with Jesus. To which I replied, yes, we do. Absolutely. Yes, we do. But what kind of relationship? Because after all, there are many different kinds and depths of relationships that people have. So I said, you know, when you came in here and you had to take your food up there the past year, then you probably engaged in some kind of relationship with those past year. Some kind of conversation. So I said, you know, I think I'll take a piece of that time. Which is exactly the same. Well, sure. With this piece of pie here, would you like some more cream? Which you might say, you know what? As long as I get the salt, I might as well go all out. Look at the whipped cream, let's put some ice cream on it. And the guy here says, well, would you like the pie heated up? Well, certainly, why not? At least then, you know, it's in time. You like the ice cream on it? Oh, boy, that would be good. Thank you very much. Now, in the course of that, we have engaged in a relationship with the cashier. But I bet you what? You didn't even know that cashier's name. And the person answered no. And I said no. And that's the way it is for a lot of people who say that they think that a relationship with Jesus might actually be important, is that really they don't want Jesus' name to know each other's name. It's such a shallow relationship. So I was, another day, I was laying close down on my side here. And the subject came around between the priest and myself about what I do for a living. And it seems like wherever I go, in, inevitably, it winds up there. And the priest was fascinated by the fact, taken by the fact that I am you know, a pastor. We engaged in spiritual conversations, religious faith conversations. And he seemed to be a person who had some, some belief, some faith. So I asked him, so where do you go to church? To which he replied, I don't go to church. And I was really surprised by that. So I said, well, why not? And he said, well, it's really about, it's about me and Jesus, and Jesus and I are okay with each other. And I said, really? <laughs> Has it really come to this? That, that Jesus died on the cross so that we might just simply be okay with each other? When I think about that in you know, other significant relationships in your life, take a marriage relationship, if you heard you know, husband and wife going around talking about their relationship together, say, you know what, my spouse and I are okay with each other. <laughs> what would that imply about that relationship, or the depth of that relationship, you know, the, the, the uh, um, maturity of that relationship, whatever, what would that imply? I mean, I would think it imply that it's, it's not that great, really. <laughs> I'm glad you're okay with each other, and it's better than I'm not okay, but um, Jesus, Jesus died for more than that. Jesus did it for something deeper than that. And Martin Luther said this, he said, Our faith is still very weak and cold. 
for faith was strong and steady as it should be, we would practically die from sheer joy. Because joy is what you're experiencing in the Lord's presence. It's what you experience when you have someone that's more just into a nearly okay relationship with Jesus. That's how you get that joy. How do you have a better and just okay relationship with Jesus? Well, you know that not all relationships are created equal. You know, you're probably going to relate to your father-in-law differently than you might relate to, uh, say, your children. You're probably going to relate differently to your boss than, say, your husband in a relationship, and you might relate to your wife. Because after all, you know, your husband in a relationship, you might relate to your wife that really is not in that relationship. Well, it's always based on what those others like to you. But Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. You're going to relate to Him differently than you would if Jesus is merely an insurance policy about where you're going to die. To have more than just an okay relationship with Jesus, you need to look at Him, and, and this is I'm kind of a modern thing, an acronym, or a letter stand for something. You need to look to Jesus as though He is your goat. The one who is the greatest of all time. But he is not true. But he is one who is unique. But there's no one else like him. But he is the one who has set you free. But he is the one to whom you owe your entire life. But he is the one who died on the cross for you uniquely for you. But he is the one whose love matters above all else to you. And that love is freely given that you might have this meaningful, more than okay relationship with him, with him as your greatest of all time. And at the same time, you know, he is the greatest of all time. You can have this relationship with him that is much like the disciples had with Jesus when they walked around this earth with him. And you can say, how in the world is that possible? The disciples are walking around with a physical living and living bleeding flesh and blood Jesus. You know, he wore sandals with whom they were able to eat meals around the campfire and things like that. How can you possibly relate to him in that kind of a way? Well, now what we do is we can relate to him in the spirit of Jesus. Spiritually, with his presence in our lives. Even closer, really, than what those disciples were relating to Jesus. Now, you know, the communication, therefore, is spiritual. It's, it's uh, connecting with him with things like prayer and, and worship and, and uh, speaking with him throughout the day and, and uh, you know, having him sort of have conscience in our spirits and, and guidance in that. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the one who's the comforter, the one who's the advocate, the one who is our counselor, the one who is our guide to life. So we have this spiritual relationship with Jesus. But there is more. For some of us, we really want to you know, it's, it's, it's not kind of a physical presence, it's difficult to have a relationship. And there is the most physical way to relate to Jesus. The Bible tells us that the church is the body of Christ, which means that we can also, as a, a second way of relating to Jesus, relate to him through the body of believers, these people who gather together like we're doing here today. In fact, this interaction with this body of believers, according to a parable of Jesus Christ, is so crucial, so important, even for eternity, that really 
your relationship with this body of believers is really what determines whether you are in or out. This is something that really needs to be understood these days. But I think we've been far too following for far too long. This is what Jesus says here in this parable in Matthew 25. He says, When the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, comes in his glory, on judgment day, the end of time, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And we'll stop right there for just a second. And we'll get back to the parable in just a moment. But a little interlude here is this that, that there's an awful lot of people for whom Jesus is not a big one. He is not the greatest of all time. Instead, they themselves are their own gifts. They themselves are their own greatest of all time. And, and there can only be one greatest of all time. Life is really all about them. It centers in them. They are the ones who can feel as though they can dictate matters of the universe. They are the ones around whom things are supposed to even God is supposed to serve So, Jesus says, here in this parable, what I was doing with those animals. If you see them, sword and sword. And he says this, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did he see you? Hungry and feed you, or thirsty, and they go on and create all of those things. When did he see you, Lord, in this capacity? When did these things happen? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, usually when people read this parable, they interpretalize instructions that we are to go out and serve the poor and visit those in prison. Which is a very good thing to do. But it's not what this parable is talking about. It's not what it's talking about at all. And the key here is in that last line. Where he says, and Jesus says, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did to me. Not everyone is a brother of Jesus. In fact, Jesus specifies that when his own family shows up at the door outside of, of the house where he's teaching them. He's got all these followers that just gathered around and he's teaching them, and he's notified that his mother and brothers are standing outside. And he looks at his followers and says, Who are my mother and my brother? Who are my brother? He looks at his, his followers and says, Who are you? The people that do the God's work. People who are Jesus' followers. These are my brothers. In other words, the church. Those who are followers of Jesus, those are his brothers. In the early church, what would happen is that there were these itinerant preachers who would go around sharing good news about Jesus. 
And they would go out like Jesus instructed the disciples to do two by two when he said to them, you know, go out, don't take a purse with you, don't take a sandal, don't take anything with you, because you've got to put you know, this, this whole message in, in, in front of people in such a way that they have to trust them. And they have to make a decision. Because in those days, if you would accept somebody in with a message like this in your hand, or you'd provide for them food and clothing and water and things like that, then, then what you were saying publicly to everyone was that you accepted their message. And if you rejected them and said, no, 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 I'm not going to feed you, I'm not going to give you food, I'm not going to do any of these kinds of things, what you're saying publicly to all kids to hear simply by your actions is that you do not accept their message. So the way to accept the message of Jesus is to interact with the people of God and not reject them. And Jesus is saying, whatever you do, your interaction with the people of God should be the right. Whatever you do there in your interaction with the people of God is a way, the second way, of having that relationship with the greatest of all time. You will stand alongside them when they are hurting. You will stand alongside of them, like in the early church, when they are imprisoned and that may even threaten your own freedom to stand with them. But you're standing with them, not because they're in prison, you're standing with them. Because they are the people of God. So there's two ways to have that great relationship with Jesus. Both are crucially important. Neither one is a substitute for the other. The two ways are to relate to Jesus in his spirit. Spiritually. And the other one is to relate to Jesus in his body, physically. To the flesh and blood people of God, the church. Neither one is a substitute for the other. We can't possibly say, okay, you know, I'll you know, go to church, therefore I'm not. No, it's important to have a personal relationship with Jesus, a spiritual relationship with Jesus. But likewise, you can't just simply be, oh, me and Jesus, well, we're good. I don't need a church. Forget it. I, I don't want to be in church. No, no. <laughs> You can't possibly have a relationship with somebody and reject their body. <laughs> you know, it's not a good one anyway. I mean, they would be a pretty strong relationship. You know, there's two ways that Jesus gives us. No, nowhere on the list are we going to find things like, well, yeah, I, I pray once in a while. Emergency. You know, but that's not the kind of relationship that Jesus died for. Well, on the list, we're going to find, well, you know, because I say it's so, therefore, these things in the universe have got to line up behind what I say. You know, that's been long ago. It was very far behind. There's not even room for Jesus to do that in my life. No. So things like this, you know, on that day when Jesus returns, those are the kinds of things that you're really adhering to. You're going to be surprised when you hear those words. Can I be here? Eternity of Jesus is a continuation of the relationship that we experience with Jesus today. This is why one of my favorite passages of the says this. Take this truth 
with the Lord is good. Experience that relationship with Him, which is more than just okay. Experience the relationship because it's not just a matter of where you go when you die. I tell you what, so many people are so fixated on this thing, like, you know, it's like, pick it into that. You know, go to Sarah Ellis or something. You know, you're so fixated on where you go after death. But they completely ignore the importance of what happens right now in this life. The importance of this relationship that begins right here and now, where we can taste and see that the Lord is good, and experience this relationship with Him both spiritually and physically. Because after all, you know, if you're going to have a good relationship with somebody, really involves those two things, which whatever they might be, you can experience a relationship with Him right here in this life, both spiritually and physically, and taste and see that the Lord is good and experience the joy that comes from the Lord's presence. You want that relationship. Amen. Let's pray about that right now. Please join us.